This is RV on Business. Welcome to 101.9 High FM. This is the RV on Money show. Thank you so much for joining us. It was a great interview we had before there. And now, as I said to you just before the break, we're going to be speaking to Dr. Shaheen Patel, who's the head of the School of Business and Commerce or Management and Commerce at Regent Business School. Dr. Patel, welcome to High FM. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Great. Shane, let's get straight into it as, as the, the title goes, debunking the MBA myths. Since I was in high school, it was almost the golden, you know, standard was to achieve an MBA. Even, you know, some of my schoolmates who went on to do medicine then went on to get an MBA either to learn how to run their own business practice or to go into the business side of medicine. And, you know, it was just the thing to have. And then as time went by, I started seeing that, you know, chartered um, accountant, uh, CASA was the way to go. These days, actuarial science is the fad and everybody's trying to do that. But ultimately, an MBA gives you this overarching understanding of business across the board. So maybe just take us a little bit back to the history of an MBA, what it's all about, and what's its importance in its in commerce. So I think you know if I if I really have to conceptualize it in, in its broadest uh, fashion possible, the MBA is somewhat of a, a Western concept or Western construct. Uh, specifically, uh, parts of America were were lay claim to having um, started the idea or the notion of an MBA, and over time it very quickly uh, started to to find its way into other parts of the world, and South Africa being no different. And so, you know, that's just really some of the background around it. But, but in essence, what it's done or what the purpose of an MBA is historically, and perhaps maybe that still persists even till today, is for one to gain, like you say, an overarching broad understanding of business in its functional areas as those, uh, as they would have appeared in companies or organizations of the time. And so that's probably what it will probably lead us when the time gets there to one of the myths around MBAs around the thing about it being an outdated idea. Because at the time, businesses operated largely, as you would know, around production lines. It was very defined in terms of different um, departments. Marketing department was very distinct to an HR department, to a finance, to an operations and so forth. And so that largely formed the, the basis of an MBA curriculum. And that hasn't changed much because a lot of institutions globally and South Africa being no different still operates on those lines. And so you'll probably find those constructs still appearing in many MBAs and region business school being no different. But what has changed over time is that there's been a new emergence of new types of organizations, uh, debunking or, or rather deconstruction of those rigid lines or silos, as people call them. And so that's how MBAs that need to change to keep pace with those kind of changes. So let's jump straight into it. Myth number one is an MBA is only for aspiring business leaders. Is that correct or incorrect? Yeah, I'd firmly, it's very often, very, not very often that you can answer something so definitively and I can definitively say, no, it's not. Um, as you, you gave an example of medical professionals who are become, who are using the MBA for, for, um, advancement in their career. And, and that is not, that's just one example of an industry that's not typically in a business field. Uh, we see a lot of lawyers going down the MBA route. We see a lot of engineers going down the MBA route. But I think for me, the, the essence behind that myth, is the idea of entrepreneurs or self-employed individuals uh, or small businesses becoming more and more aware of the value 
that lies within an MBA. And so it's not just for the typical corporate or the boardroom kind of aspirant that an MBA would be useful. It's also for several other uh, avenues or disciplines within our economy. So I've been leading on to that myth number two is experience, tri- experience trumps education. And, you know, you've often, you know, heard the thing, and I know I've spoken to many professionals in certain areas. They almost have tunnel vision and they use terminology that they've read directly out of a textbook that hasn't yeah. been used in the last 10 years in colloquial yeah. business chat. Sure. Um, what is your feeling over there about someone getting in and learning, as we say, in the trenches or yeah. going, getting the academia and then putting it together? Yeah, I think we need both, um, to be honest. I, I don't think any organization, I don't think any industry or any economy can rely solely on um, a staff complement or a workforce that has only experience or, or the other end of the spectrum, uh, a staff complement and workforce that is only formally educated. I think that it's high time we start to uh, deconstruct those binary constructs and understand that there's value in both. And I think where the sweet spot really comes together is where someone might be educated and experienced in the same individual. That is really the the the, the, the so sort of you know the golden standard that one might might be um, after. But but let me then just uh, debunk this myth, so to speak, a little bit further. You talk to any young graduate with at any level of graduation, whether you come in with a bachelor's degree or you come into an organization fully qualified with an MBA or even perhaps a doctorate uh, qualification, there's more than likely going to be this tension that you find with the incumbents in that organization relative to you coming in there, because there's all sorts of assumptions that get gets made now. It's a case of Shaheen walking into company X uh, with X amount of qualifications. Oh, he knows it all. He thinks he knows it all. But you know what? I've seen it. I've started right at the bottom and I know exactly what this company's culture is like. I know it. So all of a sudden, there's this inherent um, conflict and clash based on nothing, really. Uh, and I think that for me is something that we need to, 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 to get behind and get beyond rather and, and start to understand that yes, you may think that he knows everything, but he'll learn on his own and through a journey of conversation and, and discovery, everybody will learn from each other. He will contribute in whichever meaningful way possible, but also at the same time, there's contributions to be made that are very valuable from the incumbents who so-called, like you say, started in the trenches and worked their way through. Dr. Shane Patel, thank you so much. Please wait on the line. We need to take a quick ad break. We'll be back with you in a moment. This is RV on Business. We are going back to Dr. Shane Patel from Region Business School. Doc, thanks so much for hanging on the line. One thing I wanted to ask you, and it's something that I've seen in tertiary courses that I have spoken to people about or been involved about, is that the one aspect that is often not taught is the interhuman relationship aspect, the maybe the four different personality types and their subcategories. How for this young graduate walking in at age 23, 24, being put in charge of guys who've been there for 25 years, watch the company grow, how does he relate to them? How does he show respect and at the same time, create an aura of responsibility around himself. Is that taught in the course? Yeah, well, you know, I'd, I'd like to believe that it's baked firmly into our uh, our programs and qualifications that we offer in that 
leadership is something that we promote throughout all our modules. So even if you're studying some a, a module that might be uh, ostensibly not leadership related, so something like, I don't know, finance and accounting, it's it's typically seen as a hard skill where you need to just practice, 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 and become almost like you say tunnel vision in the way you try and approach that model, module. But we then try and underlay or overlay rather uh, a series of interventions that are aimed at promoting one's understanding and leadership abilities such that, to your point, it is irrespective of your age, you now have the acumen, you now have the competencies required to lead, even if it means leading people that are senior to you in, in age or in other uh, metrics. So that's the one piece that I think kind of addresses that. If I were to take it a little bit further, I think that, you know, in the complexities that come around um, online distance education and the associated online work from home or, or hybrid type of work environment that a lot of people are are enjoying at the moment, right? There's usually seen with an air of skepticism on that particular point, but there's actually opportunity in there because now we have the opportunity to train people in a distance environment and they're going to largely be working in a distance environment. And so you start to pick up and you start to train people for that particular reality. And so that becomes almost a second wave of addressing the issue of personality types, uh, like you say, the sometimes the, Consumer behaviors and consumer psychologists will talk to you about different color personalities. Uh, others use numbers and so forth, right? But whatever the, the the means or mechanism you use to try and describe different people and different personas, I think that the what we are certainly seeing in our student cohorts and in our graduates is a keen sense and awareness of themselves. Number one. Because if you understand yourself very well, it makes it a lot easier to lead others. And then that empathy, that sense of empathy and one's responsibility to broader the, the broader society uh, starts to come through in our employability initiatives as well. You know, one of the examples or few of the examples that you've given here about the different electives that you have, I found absolutely fascinating. Public sector management, that's really come about by the collapse of government systems and all of a sudden, we need the right people with the right specific skills. Healthcare management, again, the same thing, but also because our private healthcare is just so healthy and robust, always need experience. The next one I find absolutely fascinating, Islamic finance and banking. That is one sector, sector of finance that is crucial to a big section of the South African public, but yet has really suffered in its infancy, getting up, getting running, it's had really some bad false starts, but all of a sudden it's definitely coming through. You would battle to find a big fund manager today that doesn't have a Sharia fund, and it's about understanding how those work and what they're all about so that you can offer a broader um, financial offering to it. Educational management, South Africans' private education is phenomenal, but we need professionals in government, and then, of course, fintech distribution and financial services is where it's all about, about where where it's all at. So, yeah. you know, Dr. Patel, the next one is MBAs are outdated in the digital age, which is debunked by what I've just said, fintech distribution and financial services, because they really tie in. But on a broader scale, do I really need an MBA with a guy running the entire server for a listed company that a six-month course? And then just learnt an apprenticeship sort of thing, and he's the computer whiz. How does it all fit in? Yeah, I think let me start my my response uh, touching on some of the electives because we we really pride ourselves at Region Business School on 
uh, offering electives that are bespoke and fit for purpose for the needs of the day, whether they be private sector or public sector, and it's always difficult to find that balance, right? But the point that you made is extremely valid. If you look at educational management, you look at public sector management, you look at the healthcare offering, uh, and we've got a healthcare MBA as well, which is just a completely different program altogether relative to our MBA in general, right? So those are, those are, um, government imperatives, which we find there are opportunities for people in, in the job market who seek growth in their career to really and truly, uh, exp- expand their career through the so-called failures of the government. So that's really the, the one piece to it. The second piece to it is that we understand our responsibility to society broadly. As an education institution, as a, uh, a higher education institution, we firmly recognize our, the need for us to play a role in social change and social change. And so that's where you see uh, modules like the Islamic finance, as an example, where you sort of deconstruct uh, ideas like like interest and so forth. And so it's it's for us to look at ourselves, number one, as an institution from multi, uh, multiple viewpoints and different perspectives, and then push out uh, graduates that speak to those needs of society. So I think that's the one. The second one that you spoke about, where, where you, you're referring to sort of an MBA, why would you need an MBA for a particular role where ostensibly you don't really need that? The, the, the reality of, 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 um, many organizations, whether it be private sector or public sector, is that only on the day when there's a crisis do you recognize the need for talent and for, and for people that are incredibly skilled at problem solving. And an MBA, the, the underlying message in many respects of an MBA is one's ability to problem solve. And so you may say that, you know, this particular role, uh, the incumbent who's in that role just really needs to keep the lights on. But the day the light switches off, all of a sudden, there's, you don't want to have a panic situation where you're looking for skill outside of the organization to try and help you with this crisis because the outside people don't understand your culture and your fabric and the DNA of your organization. And so that's really the most extreme example of why MBA people are, are useful. But I suppose you don't have to look to the extreme to find the value of an MBA graduate to be employed in a role. Let me phrase it in more uh, everyday kind of terminology. We recognize that change is a constant. Everybody talks about how change just happens all over the time. There used to be a time when people used to suffer from change fatigue. I don't know about you, but I haven't spoken to anybody in the last 10 years who've suffered from change fatigue because if if, if anything, you're going to suffer from non-change fatigue. Like you're just sort of looking for the periods of non-change. It's just constant, right? And so if that's true, organizations don't want to be responding to changes from the external environment. They want to rather be initiators of change from their organization and let that become the industry standard. And that now needs certain skills that are required and typically own relatively found in people who've been through an MBA process, because then you've, you've got that sort of uh, understanding of change yourself. You understand how to react to change. You understand how to initiate change. And then that becomes the way that you uh, effect transformation in an, uh, in an industry or in a, in an economy. Great. So, Em, we've got one more myth to bust, but before we do that, we need to take a quick break. And then I'd really like to ask you the question, why Region Business School? So let's take a quick break. We'll be back with you in a moment. This is RV on Business. Welcome back to 101.9 High FM. On the line with us is Dr. Shaheen Patel, who is the um, head of the Business School MBA program at Region Business School. Let's just break the last myth. The return on the investment is uncertain. You know, there was a time where I think, you know, once you got your MBA, it was just a matter of picking the job that you wanted. 
Is that still the case or there are many graduates who still have to go out there and hustle for a position? Yeah, I think, you know, what sits beneath that myth is is the, the idea that there's a lot more people out there with an MBA. If you think about the history of South Africa post, uh, post-apartheid, uh, higher education has been expanded to a lot more people. So we, there's a lot more graduates out there who have access to higher education. And yes, there's still a lot more that don't have access and that needs to be addressed as a separate discussion. But what I am saying is that you certainly would see 10, 15 years ago, there were a lot less people walking around with an MBA. And so that means that the market becomes a lot more competitive re- relative to that time period or that timeline. So, it, it, it sort of muddies the waters and you, two issues seem to be conflated in that particular myth. In my view, research has consistently demonstrated that your return on investment on an MBA is, is a positive one within a time frame that is not unreasonable or unrealistic. And so, like with any investment, it takes a bit of time for you to, to see the return, uh, any, any valuable investment. So I, I think of the MBA almost along those lines. And so, uh, that's just, you know, if you, if you were to reduce the return on investment of an MBA to rands and cents, but I think there's a lot more to the value of the MBA, which might not be, uh, quantifiable in, in rands and ten, cents terms, where the, the idea of professional growth, networking, there's, there's such a value of networking during your MBA and post the MBA, which you can't really put a price on. Um, and in, in, in many ways, your network can actually become more valuable than the rands and cents kind of return on investment because you start to rub shoulders. You might be studying with somebody and doing your MBA with somebody today who's a f- future uh, CEO of a Fortune 500 company. You never know. And so it would be really nice in 5 or 10 or 15, 20 years time to be able to pick up the phone and phone so-and-so who's, who's now leading a, 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 FTSE, a, a Fortune 500 uh, company and say, hey, you know what, actually, can we do something together? And so, you know, there's so, it's such a multifaceted uh, discussion around what is your ROI and what's a reasonable time frame to get to, to make that money back or to, to rather see the benefit of it. I think the long and the short of it for me is that we need to get away from just quantifying it in rands and cents terms. Number one. Number two, like with any investment, there's a, a period of patience that needs to, to, to happen in order for you to, to really feel the benefit of it. And number three, thinking about the, the benefits vastly differently and, and trying to see some kind of a transformational mindset around that. Before I let you go, as I said before, we need to ask you the question, why Regent? There are a couple of very well-established institutions that offer an, offer an MBA. What makes Regent stand out? So I think what if, I'll probably answer it in two ways. Number one, Regent Business School has developed what we call a modern contemporary e- education ecosystem. And what does that mouthful really mean? It means that you get three things out of a Regent experience. That's on the MBA and practically for any other of our programs that we offer. Number one, you get the traditional education experience. So, you know, sort of uh, webinars or lectures, whether they be online, in person, uh, assignments, exams, the traditional kind of experience that any uh, scholar or, or student might experience anyway. So you get that and that's not going anywhere. But we supplement that with two additional things. Number one, we've got something called the iLead Lab. Now, the iLead Lab, as you may know, is an academic makerspace in all of our major learning centers across Southern Africa, where you can physically go and experience the fourth industrial revolution for yourself. 
and there's no additional cost for a student to do that. You can walk into one of our centers and physically start to learn how to 3D print, how to laser cut, how to operate a drone, how to do some basic robotics and coding, things that one would not normally think of doing at uh, a business school. You might think of uh, needing to go to an engineering school or some other institution to do that. And we do that because it supplements that traditional experience very well. You start to get the theory, so to speak, and the practical. And then the last leg of this uh, modern uh, the education ecosystem is what we call the Red Hub. The Red Hub stands for the Region Enterprise Development Hub, where we try and promote entrepreneurship as a viable option or avenue for one to pursue a career, so that now you're kind of closing the loop up between the theory, the practice, and then what do you do with all of that as an entrepreneur. Dr. Shaheem um, Patel, thank you so much for your time. Um, I know we're cutting you short, but we're really up against the hour. Thank you so much. How do people get hold of Regent? What's the easiest way to get information about the MBA program? Yeah, I think uh, you could probably uh, head to our website, www.regent.ac.za. We should probably be the, the most easiest way to find more information about it. You'll find undergrad and postgraduate programs. The MBA specifically would be under postgraduate programs. And then you can also get in touch with, in touch with, uh, in touch with us via social media. We are on all the platforms as well. Fantastic. Dr. Patel, thank you so much and all the best. Thank you so much. It's been a, a, a good pleasure talking to you and uh, out to speak to you again soon. Fantastic. Great, Craig. Thanks for pushing the buttons. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will speak to you next week.